Hello, and welcome to Endeavors. On today's show, filmmaker April Wright on her documentary, Stunt Women, the true Hollywood story. That's coming up on Endeavors. You're listening to Endeavors Radio with your host from Toronto, Ontario, Canada, Dan McKee. Years ago, when I was first starting my show, I had always wanted to do episodes around the Oscars. This might have actually been my first Oscar show in in 2010. It could have been 2011. I can't remember. I got to interview, at the time, the president of Stunts Canada, a man by the name of James Bamford. And we talked about how stunt performers are treated in the industry and sometimes the lack of recognition they get by the academy. Even back then, uh, there was a push to recognize stunt performers with their own category. In the last few years, a call for best stunts has only grown, especially with Brad Pitt recently winning an Oscar for his role as a stunt performer in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Another filmmaker who feels this way is April Wright. She is a filmmaker and somewhat of a historian who in the past has made films about drive-in movies, Going Attraction, the definitive story of the American drive-in movie, and its sequel, Going Attractions, the definitive story of the movie Palace. Her new film is Stunt Women, the true Hollywood story. And it features interviews and profiles of some of the most iconic stunt women around, including Jeannie Epper, Heidi Moneymaker, and Julie Ann Johnson. It also features uh, and is narrated in some parts by Michelle Rodriguez, who also serves as a producer on the movie. It is a great look at the history of female stunt performers in Hollywood right back to the 1950s, but how in many ways there is still a lot of sexism when it comes to how female stunt performers are treated. This is my conversation with April Wright.
how's uh how's the lockdown life treating you <laughs> well i'm in california so right now we've got lockdown plus a lot of smoke from all the fires so uh it's a pretty rough phase but i'm mostly just trying to write and create you know create new projects and you try to be productive during this time <laughs> Yeah, no, I hear you. I like I'm I'm in the west I'm on the west coast of Canada, so we're actually we're we're getting a lot of the smoke that's been drifting north from like Washington. We've had some fires kind of to the to the uh to the east of us. Um so it's been really I think we have the worst air quality right now in the world, they said. Yeah, I so know. It, yeah. It, I hope they get them under control. <clears throat> yeah, I know. It's uh <laughs> It's, 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 it's a little bit gnarly. Um, so you, you have a film out called Stunt Woman, uh, the true Hollywood story. And I know this, this was based off, off a book uh, by, by Molly Gregory. It's, it's not often that you see documentaries, uh, ba you know, based off, of, <laughs> based off of books. You know, they're usually like biopics or, or something. Um, how did you go about adapting that? What, what kind of relationship did you have to the, to the source material and, and with Molly? Uh, I knew Molly and I knew uh, some of the producers who had optioned the book, which is how I got involved. And um, she, she did an excellent job basically doing a lot of the preliminary research and you know, figuring out some of the details of women doing stunts in the, you know, a hundred years ago in the 19 teens in silent films. So she had done an incredible amount of research and she had interviewed a lot of stunt women. So it was, um, it was a great resource and a great jumping off point. And then the challenge for me coming in is how do I make it come alive as a film? And so uh, I had the idea of having younger stunt women learn the history instead of just, you know, having a history lesson with a, with a talking head, but letting them meet those living legends that were still alive so that they could hear it directly from them. And also um, I had to bring the book up to the present day. Um, I think this, the stunts that were covered in the book went up to around 2007. And so I had to keep it going because so much has happened. There's a lot more you know, female driven content and Marvel films and all these things that had happened later that I had to absolutely include in the film. So I had to do some additional research myself. Um, but, you know, it, the book was excellent to give me all the background information. And um, I, you know, I read it several times. <laughs> you know, you, you, you mentioned the idea of having sort of the younger stunt women learning from the older ones. Is that why we see uh, somebody like Amy, who's actually doing the interviewing with um, uh, Sue and yeah, she's uh, with and, and Johnson and Jeannie Upper, yeah, and then Alima Dorsey's with J.D. David, and then even with Debbie and Donna Evans, Amy and Michelle Rodriguez are there talking to them. So yeah, we really tried to show um, all aspects, you know, all different points of view and, uh, generation, different generations, because, you know, they've been going at it for a long time and there's good advice and, and lessons to be, to be heard. <laughs> how, how did, um, Michelle Rodriguez get involved? Cause she appears in this film. She's done a lot of action work and she also narrates it and she's an executive producer. Yeah, um, I was really excited to, to have Michelle get involved. She had been very vocal about stunt people getting recognition. 
And, uh, you know, she doesn't like actors who say they do their own stunts when they really don't. She, you know, she's like, why would you want to take credit for that when somebody else is risking their life to make you look good? So this is something she believes in. She'd been talking about for a long time. And she uh, and also she's a feminist and she's really interested in in pushing women forward and up. And so it was just something she was really passionate about. And so then it was kind of, you know, my challenge, how can I integrate her into the film? And she wanted to sort of take that role where she's also learning and interacting with the stunt women. And so I thought it was really great to have her from an action actress's perspective to be understanding and asking some of these questions. And she was great to work with. I absolutely loved working with her. This idea of, recognition you know a couple years ago after brad pitt won his oscar he was saying we need a you know we need like a best stunt category or something like that i talked years ago with the president of stunts bc he was saying the same thing the academy's position has always been they want to keep the anonymity of it because they work behind the scenes which is in my opinion a dumb excuse because because you have like you know all like the grips and the gaffers and their names are in the credits some performers' names are in the credits, so it's so it, it, it's not anonymous. Um, where do you think, do you think we're any closer to, to seeing that a reality? Yeah, well, first off, I'm, I'm laughing that you said Brad won that Oscar a couple of years ago because we're all in this COVID brain where we've lost sense of time. <laughs> that, that was this year that he won it. Oh my, yeah, wow, you're right. It feels longer than that, I gotta say. I know, doesn't it? I know, I was laughing at that. Um, yeah, yeah, right. The irony that he can win an Oscar for playing a stuntman, but a stuntman can't get can't win an Oscar. Although uh, there's been a couple of the uh, honorary Oscars given to uh, Hal Needham and uh, Yakima Canuck and uh, Jackie Chan, but most people would make the argument, and I believe in this that stunt performers, they, it is an arts and a science, just like everything else in the academy. And those uh, stunt performers and stunt coordinators and second unit directors that are designing and performing this incredible action that we love in most of the top films, um, that they're at the same top of their game, the same as every other Oscar category. They're at the top of their game, just like the person who does hair and makeup, just like the person who does sound design and sound mixing, just like the person who's directing the film. They're, they're on par in the top of their respective fields, and it's such an important field. And uh, SAG recognizes stunt performers, so does the Emmys, and the Oscar is the only holdout, and it just really doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Um, you know, and, and I think uh, it was Heidi who actually, you know, said at the end that, you know, we should take gender out of it. So I'm curious, like, you know, the film is called Stunt Women and you also interview stunt men, but should we just call the, the position stunt performer or, or, or stunt person rather than having that, that gendered adjective with it? Yeah, and, and, and they do call themselves stunt performers, absolutely. And, and what she means, take the gender out of it, I, I take that to mean that men or women can be just as good. And obviously gender is part of it because we can see the actors and uh, you know they're performing as a male or a female character in most cases. And, uh, and so therefore the person that's behind the scene also creating that character you know, in the physical scenes should look like that character. And that's sort of sort of the 
the way it goes. So it is split, but uh, you know, if we get to a point where women are driving for men, and I think people like Debbie and Donna Evans and Jen Caputo have sometimes driven for men because they're that good. Um, you know, that would be the thing is to start seeing more of that, more of that maybe, but also, uh, the part where, where there's trouble is not just the doubling because, you know, most of the time you are going to have a woman stunt woman, double a, a female actor. It's, it's the rest of it. It's in all the characters that are not, you know, a famous actor. It's all the cops, all the soldiers, all the people in crowd scenes that are running when a, you know, asteroid is coming or whatever it might be. And um, traditionally, those have been mostly men, um, you know, put into those parts. And I think that's one area where they're really looking for parity is, you know, that the people playing stunt, you could call them stunt extra, stunt background, um, you know, they are performing stunts, they're falling, they're running, they're doing different things. Those should be more equal and look like society looks. And, and that's an area where definitely we can have some improvements. In, in a strange way, does it feel like you know, with all these, I guess, enhanced safety measures that they've put in over the years since the beginning of stunts has actually inhibited the, 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 the female stunt performers past because they're saying, oh, this is, you know, we have all these safety procedures, but it's too dangerous for a woman or, 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 or you can't shoot a woman. Right. Well, yeah, I, I think it's just, um, it, it's not intentional discrimination, I don't think, and all the people that I've met and talked to, I don't think anybody sets out to say, I don't want to put a woman or a person of color. Uh, I think it's just sort of ingrained history, and this is the way we've always done it, and these are the, the patterns, and I have my list of people I call, and so it uh, for things to evolve and get to where they should be, it really is going to take people being a little more conscious in making different in decisions that are more inclusive. And a lot of people are aware of this now. A lot of people are talking about this now. It, it is shown in the numbers. So it's not, you know, one person. It really is how the system was built. And, um, and I think everybody's happy, not just in stunts, but in the film industry overall, that people have more awareness and are trying to make some decisions that will change the cycle. Because the issue, what happens is when you have guys doing that stuff traditionally, different stunts, whether it's background stunts or playing a cop character or doubling, um, then they're doing it more and they're getting more experience. And then when those tough stunts come up, uh, they're like, well, who should we have do this? It's a woman character. Oh, these women don't have the experience. This guy's done it four times, so he'll double that. And then it just keeps going, it keeps perpetuating. So you have to make a conscious decision. We're going to bring women up to speed. We're going to give them those opportunities so that they get that experience, so that they get that on their resume. And then when it comes time to, you know, have somebody do a more dangerous stunt, well, who can we have do it? We have these guys that are just as good as these girls that have had the same amount of opportunity. And then you're choosing the best, really from the best and not the person that you kept training more. Um, so that's what needs to happen, I think. Was it important for you um, to not only fe obviously feature women, but feature women POC, um, especially with everything that's going on in the industry and, and, and with the social conscious right now? Oh, big time. Yeah. And um, because it because it is, it is that issue too. Um, you know, in addition to 
historically there's been many cases of men putting on wigs to perform stunts for women characters you've also had white performers doing what they would call paint downs which is basically blackface to um, double a person of color and um, you know for safety's sake that was done sometimes but nowadays there are enough performers of every race and color and background and gender that um, you know you have to you know, bring those people into it that may have not had the same opportunities up till now. It, it is a huge thing. And, and for me, it was very important. You know, we had J.D. David, we talked about a minute ago, you know, she tells us how when the Black Stuntmen's Association formed, it had women as charter members because they both understood the struggle that each other was having. And so that kind of says it all, except that was 50 years ago. So... <laughs> you know, sad, sad that we're still having these conversations. But I, I do feel like there's more awareness these days. And hopefully, you know, people can step up of, you know, of every race and color and gender and start to, you know, equal this out the way it should be. Was it easy to get all these, all these stunt women to talk? Was it, was it a very easy conversation to get them to, to come on camera? You know, it, it was easy, but it was also tough. Um, so part of what I have to do as a documentary filmmaker, I'm making a movie, but it's their life, it's their livelihood. And so I develop a huge obligation to them uh, that I have to listen to them and I have to tell their story the way that they want it told. And so there is, um, you know, building of trust uh, of what kind of film it's going to be and uh, a tremendous amount of research on my part for each person, uh, you know, before I went into every interview, before I even contacted who I wanted to be in the film, I did all my research, I had all my people, and I had to go through, and it, it, it's casting in a way where you want to make sure you're representing as many people and as many points of view as possible, because you can't have every stunt person in the film, but you want to you want to have that right mix. And so it was me figuring out, you know, who would be good in the film, doing my preparation and then earning their trust. And um, some of the people, uh, it, it was developing that trust and relationship and also they work a ton. So a lot of it was just scheduling. Like Melissa Stubbs, who's in the film um, at the end doing the second unit directing and, um, and stunt coordinating, she and I traded messages probably for at least a year um, trying to get her in the film and building that rapport. And then finally, when the opportunity came up that she was on that X-Files set, she talked to Chris Carter, the creator, about having us come up. And he respects her so much, he said, absolutely. So we went up there and we had carte blanche and, you know, we were, you know, able to do and capture everything. But, you know, again, it took, it took time. And when, when I finally had a screening where a lot of the stunt people saw it, Melissa told me, and, and this was the best feedback I've gotten on the film. She said, other people have talked about or wanted to make a film on this topic. She's like, but you really nailed it. She said, this is really who we are. This is really how we feel. And you got it right. And for me, as a documentary filmmaker, you know, that's paramount. I, I, like, if anyone else likes it, great. But having the respect from the stunt women feeling like I told their story the right way, there's nothing better than that. <laughs> How, how did you first come, come to wanting to tell this story? Well, I love movies. And so I'm, I'm a huge uh, 
I have posters behind me of other documentaries I've done about drive-in movies, about movie palaces, about stunt women. All of them cover the history of Hollywood. Who would go and see every single movie that came out from the biggest blockbuster to the littlest indie film. And so I have a love and respect for movies. I also, um, you know, I'm as a woman, especially working in this industry where, um, you know, the statistics are not good. I really appreciate the world that they're in. That's a male dominated world and a woman trying to find your place there. So I identified with that. And I just felt like it was an important story to be told and, you know, to go to work every day in this film and just, you know, being able to wear workout clothes and watch these women set themselves on fire and fight and drive, you know, it was the best. I, I loved shooting all that stuff. I love shooting the drift car racing. Um, you know, you don't usually get a chance to shoot an action sequence like that for a documentary. So, uh, you know, I just loved it. I loved movies. I love um, this struggle and I wanted this story to be told. Do you then can in some way consider yourself a film historian? Uh, you know, there's so many people better than me, but certainly on these topics, on drive-ins uh, and stunt women and uh, movie palaces, I, I probably know a lot more than most people at this point because of making those films. I mean, I can have a conversation with, you know, Leonard Maltin is in my movie palace film, Ben Mankiewicz is in uh, the stunt woman film. And so being able to have a, a, a film conversation and a spar with guys like that makes me feel really good because I respect them so much. So, so yeah, I, I, uh, I, I love it. I love movies. <laughs> you know, I, I remember growing up uh, and watching action films and maybe not enjoying them as much because they didn't have the same type of story, I think it's like a comedy or, or, or a drama. What do you think are some maybe misconceptions about that genre of film and that genre of filmmaking? Well, I mean, you can appreciate all different types of action. So, you know, that's probably a whole huge topic, um, you know, because going back a few years, you would have all the, the car movies, Smokey and the Bandit, Cannonball Run, all that stuff. I think general audiences loved that. And that's a certain type of action where you have all these car sequences and car stunts. Then you might have all the, you know, like in the 80s, all the Jean-Claude Van Damme movies and Steven, and Steven Seagal and Arnold Schwarzenegger and the Rambos and all of that, which are more, you know, fighting and testosterone driven. And you have a whole audience with those. And then, you know, for female driven, I think right, you know, in the 70s, you had um, uh, like on television, you had Bionic Woman and you had, uh, one, you know, Wonder Woman and you had a lot of female characters. I think that probably just came out of a lot of the women's movement at that time, but you did have these heroic women characters. Then they kind of went away for a little while. But in recent years, I think you're seeing a lot on television streaming and in films where there's a lot of women characters like Captain Marvel and uh, Black Widow and, uh, you know, Supergirl. And, you know, you have all these people. But, but stunts are not just, you know, outright action. Stunts are in comedies. You know, we have Paul Feig in the film. And, you know, he did Ghostbusters, he did The Heat, you know, all these spy, all these things that he did are comedies, but they require stunts just as much. And I think that was kind of eye-opening to realize stunt people are not just in action films, they're in everything. So, 
you know, br brief history there. Um, and sometimes do characters suffer? Um, sure, you could probably make that argument, but you know, there's also a ton of um, action-driven material that are people's favorite films and they're their favorite films because they relate to the character. So, you know, I think, I think you can make a bad film of any type, <laughs> uh, but I think, you know, yeah, it might not be everybody's cup of tea, but I think there's a lot of um, action films that people really, really love and relate to. On, on that note, are, are stunt performers actors? You know, we, we see somebody like Zoe Bell, for example, who was a great stunt performer and is now doing a lot more straight yeah. acting as well. Yeah, I think so. I mean, for, they're all, uh, you know, here uh, in the U.S., they're all Screen Actors Guild. So they are in the acting union. Um, and you do see... I mean, there were action actors, you know, Jackie Chan, obviously, probably being the most recognizable, Michelle Yeoh, uh, Cynthia Rothrock. There have been sort of action stars who also do their own stunts. Um, and, uh, and, and there's a lot of stunt women in our film that also act um, where they're on screen and doing stunts. And a lot of times in films, if you're watching like say a bar fight breaks out and there might be a character and then they're getting punched and stuff, um, those are stunt people who are acting. And, uh, and you could also make the argument that overall they're actors because they're watching how the person they're doubling moves and they're creating the other side of that character. So together the star and then the stunt double, which in most films nowadays, they don't just have one, they might have four different doubles doing different specialties. All those stunt people have to study how that actor moves so that they're all just performing different sides to create one character for you. So, um, you know, so if it's Wonder Woman, um, Gal Gadot has more than one double who, and, they're, and together they're all creating this character of Wonder Woman. So yes, they're actors for sure. You know, it's, and then you have somebody like uh, Jeannie Epler, who, you know, is probably the greatest and most famous stunt woman in history. Um, and she's done some on-screen acting as well. I think it was in that, that Paul Newman movie she talks about. Um, but what was it like for you as, as a filmmaker and a storyteller and, and as someone sort of bringing this to light when she said, yes, I, I will come and, and, and share my story? Well, you couldn't make this film without including Jeannie. Like you said, she, she for stunt women, uh, did it for 50 years. And she's one of the best. She's respected as one of the best, both by stunt men and stunt women. She's the only woman to have received the Taurus World Stunt Award, uh, Lifetime Achievement Award. Hopefully she's not the last woman to ever get that, but she's the first and the only right now. And, um, and I was just thinking you, you said about how she did some acting. I was watching Roadhouse a few weeks ago and there's a bar fight scene where she's one of the patrons in the bar <laughs> where she's definitely acting and then a fight breaks out. And I think one of her sisters might be in there too. Um, so yeah, she, she's on screen probably a lot more than you realize. Uh, and, and I think the, the other... I guess big performer from that era. Obviously, there was there was Donna and Debbie, the sisters, but um, is Julianne uh, Johnson who who uh, became a, a coordinator as well. Um, is there when I guess quote unquote bigger names 
you know, come aboard a film, does it lend it a certain amount of legitimacy in a way? Like, do you feel like, okay, now this is a movie? Uh, you're talking about for our movie? Um, yeah. Now this is a movie. Well, I think, I mean, the story was there to be told no matter what. Um, but I wanted to make a movie that all the stunt people would respect. And so therefore I knew I can't tell the story if I don't get certain people in it. And so some of those people were Jeannie Epper, Zoe Bell, Heidi and Renee Moneymaker, uh, and then JD, Julianne, Jeannie Epper. Um, so there were certain ones that I was just like, I really, really need these people in the film. And then, you know, from there, we started adding others and rounding it out. I knew I wanted Melissa Stubbs because of the stunt coordinating. I also really wanted to get um, Shauna Duggins in it, who is a, a big coordinator. And she's the first and only woman to win the Emmy for stunt coordinating. She was the first nominated in 2006 for Alias. And then she was nominated and won it for Glow in 2018 and in 2019. And so she's a real trailblazer. Uh, went back and forth with her a hundred times trying to get it scheduled. And then we just kind of ran out of shooting time, you know, before I could get her. So there's a few great people, a lot of great people that didn't make it into the film that I would have loved to have in it. Um, we actually shot something more with um, Zoe Bell that didn't end up in the film. Um, so I wanted to have her in it even more, but we just had so much good stuff. We had to make a lot of tough decisions of, of what to, um, you know, what we had to cut away. But yeah, I kind of felt like if this is going to be everybody's movie and if this is going to be something that all the stunt people are proud of, that I have to have people who they respect in the film um, and some of the greats and you have to have them in the film. And so that that was absolutely important. You know, th this idea of the, the, the female-centric action movie, you know, we had the, the Mad Max uh, with Charlize Theron, Michelle has been a, a lead character uh, in the Fast and Furious franchise, even something like Ghostbusters, which is comedy action, you know, you had um, Kate and, and, and uh, Melissa and, and, and Leslie. Um, as, as, you know, as, as a female storyteller and, and also a female lover of, of movies, what, what do you like about, you know, blowing stuff up and, and sort of getting to experience that? <laughs> well, I mean, I think, I think for me, and, and uh, I think this is a way where I connected to a lot of the stunt women. I, uh, I spent a lot of time with my dad as a kid and we spent time going and, you know, if there was a really cool expensive car for sale, we would go check it out on the weekends and <laughs> just kind of having that kind of uh, education and appreciation um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not a girly girl, you know, I, I, I like cars. I also like playing tennis. I also, you know, took ballet as a kid. And I think a lot of women are kind of rounded like that. And so this idea that women are princesses or only like pink or whatever gets perpetuated. I don't think that's the truth for most women, at least not most of the women that I know. And so can, can we appreciate a good fight, a good car chase, a good action sequence, 
um, just as much as a good love scene or a good character or a good makeover scene or whatever it might be. Um, I think absolutely. I think, um, you know, chopping it up smaller uh, doesn't represent most of us. So yeah, I, I love that stuff. And, you know, what do you make of the fact that Hollywood is remaking all these films that, you know, 20, 30 years ago were male, you know, male movies like Dirty Rotten Scandrels and Ghostbusters, and we're seeing them remade or, you know, spun off with, with women in the lead role. So it's, it's, it's sort of this female remake rather than maybe trying to give women storytellers their own stories is is are are we are we doing exposure in the wrong way boy that's a really thoughtful question um i think i'm a person generally i don't necessarily like the reboots and the remakes i wish there were more original content and original stories coming in i get more excited about that personally um and, but taking a, a male driven piece of material that we loved and rebranding it for females i think uh it just expands the story in a different way um you know we've all been watching cobra kai lately <laughs> and seeing what they did you know taking a movie that we all love from the 80s and then coming up with this different angle and even what ryan coogler did creating creed um out of rocky um, see things like that I kind of like because you're still taking the brand and then you're adding to it from a different point of view and in both those cases they've done it from a more diverse point of view also which is really cool um, so I like stuff like that so I guess my answer is just it depends um, you know there's one film from the 70s that I watched called The Driver and I kept thinking that would be cool to remake with a woman as the driver. <laughs> um, so there's a few films I look at where I'm like, oh, it would be cool to do a female version of that. Um, but um, it would have to be the right thing. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I'm curious to get your thoughts on this because a lot of that in a way seems very, very much an Americanism. You know, if, if, if you look at the films of, like say France, let's say, or, or a lot of the films in Europe. Um, there was a film out a couple years ago, I think called The Racer and the Jailbird, um, which is an, an action film and Adela Kotropoulos plays the, the lead race car driver. Um, and it seems like at least maybe in, in Europe or, or other filmmaking cultures, they uh, uh, appreciate those stories maybe a little bit more than, than we do out here in, in North America. Um, as, as someone who has studied the history of film in, in certain ways, any, any thoughts on why you think that is? I think you could be right about that. And I think part of why it's different in other countries than here is because the arts are supported in a different way. Um, there's funding and, and ways that material comes to be in other countries that isn't how it works here in the US and Canada, where it's driven by big film companies or streaming companies that have, uh, you know, the control, the control of the purse strings when it comes to anything. And also, I mean, I suppose you have a lot of huge budget films being made in China right now, but mostly the content coming out of Hollywood has uh, fueled the world 
And I think something that they realized a long time ago was, you know, around the world, everybody likes action films because the action translates to every language um, because you can see it, it's all visual. And so um, I think things like that have kind of driven the way it works and just this idea that the male action heroes are what the world wants to see. But I, I was listening to an interview the other day that Michelle Rodriguez did for this film. And she was talking about the Fast and the Furious and how, uh, you know, that started as a little movie. And then soon they realized, you know, what do you know? What do you know? You can make an action film that's cast with all different types of people, all different races and nationalities and people around the world love it. It doesn't diminish it in any way. It makes it bigger. It makes it a bigger success. And, um, and she's right about that. And so I hope the future uh, means more uh, content coming out of Hollywood or coming to the streamers is diverse, not only from the filmmakers, but from who we see on film and from who we see doing um, the harder stunts, doing more action. And I, I feel like we are heading that way, um, you know, in just terms of, you know, predicting what we think audiences are going to like. I think it's a lot more broad than what it has been looked as traditionally. You know, I, I, I definitely think we are seeing more women in front of the screen doing that, you know, like Michelle and, and Charlize. But it seems like women aren't getting, necessarily being given the chance to direct those types of movies. Obviously, we saw Patty Jenkins do it with Wonder Woman. Um, but there haven't been too many other, you know, e examples of that. Where, where do you think we are in terms of letting women tell these stories rather than rather than them having just being, you know, a story about yeah. women or a story with a, a female lead character. I, I belong to a lot of women's directing groups, and this is something that we talk about and are pushing for. I think there's been more headway made recently in television, uh, where you see like Leslie Linka Gladder doing Homeland, and you see a lot of different women directing on all the uh, CW shows, like the Air Arrow and all that. Um, so I think the the inroads are in television are starting to happen even more than in feature films. But I hope that, you know, me and a lot of people hope that keeps going. And it's kind of the same thing we said with, with stunt performers, that if you keep giving opportunities along the way to the same kind of people, then when you get to those bigger budget films, that's your list of people who you think can handle it. And so it does have to start with people giving uh, women and people of color opportunities to direct, um, you know, bigger budgets and bigger films. And then when the $100 million action film comes up, now you've got a list over here of people to consider too. And obviously, you know, with films like Black Panther, when, you know, there's a person of color behind that, you mentioned Patty and Patty Jenkins behind Wonder Woman. Um, those films are, are doing fantastic at the box office. So it, it's just hopefully going to end up being good business and something that's obvious to everybody that you should have diverse points of view in front of and behind the camera. You know, te television is exploding uh, like never before with all the streaming and, and, and cable, you know, and we're seeing a lot of film stars migrate to television. Halle Berry had a show, Julia Roberts, Jennifer Aniston. Um, why, do you, why do you think we're seeing that shift? Is it, is it the writing, do you think? Is, is there just more 
quality content. I remember uh, Helen Mirren saying once that, you know, stage is the actor's medium, film is the director's medium, and television is the writer's medium. And do you think ultimately that's what it is that's attracting people maybe away from film into the smaller screen? Yeah, that's a good question. That's been going on for a while now. Um, and I think it's also a couple other things. In the film industry, you used to have this middle range budget idea that's been completely compressed. So you've either got small indie films and, or you've got huge, huge, big budget films. And also um, you do have Netflixes and some of the streamers now coming back into that middle range and making those types of films again. So that's a plus. Um, and, but, but when that compression was happening, you did have a lot of good, um, traditionally out of film actors, writers, directors who started moving into television and everybody's talked for years about the golden, you know, second golden era of television. And it's absolutely true. The meatier and better material, um, is there. So of course people are attracted to that. And like I was saying, I think uh, television and streamers have done a much better job of pushing the dial forward for women and people of color to, to be more involved with those projects. So features will, you know, hopefully catch up, but um, a lot of people are interested in working there because it's more inclusive too. Yeah, I, I actually see a, a lot of parallels with documentary filmmaking. I, you know, in, in terms of feature films, I see um, a lot more or women, at least, directing documentaries now and perhaps even migrating to documentaries. And there was that uh, short documentary at the Oscars that, uh, about uh, menstruation that won um, the, 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 the Academy Award. Um, the, is, and as someone who is part of these, these directors groups, is that something that's come up and like maybe, maybe why and how <laughs> documentaries are, are becoming uh, a, an outlet rather than a traditional feature film? Yeah. Now that's a funny topic because, you know, we've had a joke for years that it's been easier for women to make documentary films because they have lower budgets and pay less money. And so of course they'll let women in there. Um, and so it's kind of a joke, but it's also kind of true. Um, so, but at the same time, just as people were talking about, you know, this golden era of television, I hear a lot of people now talking about it being a golden era of documentaries, that a lot more people are interested in documentaries, not just feature length, but docu-series. You know, you have things like the Tiger hit, the Tiger King, you know, being such a huge hit when we started lockdown, you know, they, they hit perfect timing and everybody watched that. And so it is cool that there's a lot more opportunity in, in, in documentary and that there's opportunity for women. And there's, there's just so many good documentaries out there now. For me, um, I wanted to take the opportunity with this film with stunt women to not make so much of a traditional documentary. I could have just translated the book directly and made it a history lesson and had talking heads and you know had experts you know talking about the clips but i just felt like that would not be the right story for this world and for these women i needed to make an action documentary and i don't know if i made that up 
mashing up those genres. <laughs> uh, but that was just sort of our mantra for the film. And we did end up with some sit down interviews. We had to, but as much as we could, we tried to get action, shoot action and really make the, make the film come alive. And so for me, part of doing that is because I also do narrative work and I wanted the opportunity to show, you know, I can shoot a drift car scene. I can shoot a girl being shot on fire. And, you know, so I, I wanted to merge that because that's me, but that's also who they are and how they would want it to be. Um, so, so yes, there's opportunity in documentary and documentaries don't have to be boring. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's, it's funny because I'm, I'm curious how, how early on in, in your process, whether in production or, or post, you found the tone? Because right at the very beginning in sort of the, the intro pre-credit sequence, it reminds me of sort of those E! True Hollywood stories a little bit, you know, and then Michelle's narration is right in the very beginning, and then there's none, and there's a little bit, and then there's a none, and then there's a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. What kind of discussions did you have with your team about the, the, the tone you wanted to set? Well, the tone, I mean, like, like it's kind of what I just said. We wanted it to be action, but we also wanted to make sure that, that the, the truth about their world and the profession came through. But we also wanted it to be even-handed and, and kind of fair. We didn't want to uh, dwell on the negative or, or bash what's happened over time. We really wanted to live in the now and where it is now, where there's a lot of opportunity and changes and these women have the skills and they're ready to take on the challenges that are happening right now so keeping it action moving you know the pace is very fast of the movie uh you might even have to watch it a couple times to get all the details there's so much in there and and yeah just keeping it high energy um was definitely what we wanted in the tone and the opening graphics are kind of the history of stunt going backwards through time. So a lot of the images in there, they're not labeled, but they are famous stunts that stunt women did over the years. Like there's a car flip that um, Janet Brady did in Hooper, which a lot of people say that was the first, you know, woman that did a car flip in a film. So, so they're actually, uh, you know, historic things that are sort of in that timeline. Um, and, and that's what, how we wanted to set the tone was kind of like show you high energy. This is what you know. And then it goes back through time and it goes back a hundred years that women started doing stunts a hundred years ago. And then we kind of go from there, unleash it from there. <laughs> was it easy to acquire all those, all those clips and archives? Because especially for a documentary that, that can really inflate a, a budget. Yes, um, that's part of the background I brought to the film because my other two documentaries were also about different aspects of cinema history. And so I had been through the process um, multiple times of how to use clips and we worked with a fair use attorney um, to and, and I had enough experience to really understand how that would work and where you can uh, safely use clips based on the precedent of fair use cases and you know, what would be acceptable, what wouldn't. So I think that helped the process a lot that I knew going in, uh, you know, what and how to show and use clips properly. Um, because you're right, we have a ton of them. And if we had to, um, you know, 
negotiate and buy all those clips, you could never make the film. But that's why fair use exists because a lot of films, if you're if you're showing clips like that, you could never tell the story. Um, the budget would be so prohibitive. So that's why it exists. Uh, you mentioned that, that you do do narrative work. Um, I know you've done one feature and in several shorts. Do you find your your directing style changes whether you're doing a documentary or, or a narrative film? Um, I, yes and no. I kind of feel like the, the material uh, will sort of tell me where, where and how to tell the story. And a lot of stuff that I like starts with true stories or based on true stories. So I think that's a common thread through a lot of what I do, not everything. Um, but yeah, trying to see what we can learn from real life. Um, and definitely looking at characters and stories that you might not usually hear about that, that may have, you know, up till now not been told or not been focused on, that kind of material really interests me. Um, and so, um, yeah, I mean, I guess that's the answer to the question. Like, do I have the same approach? Yeah, I'm looking for the same types of stories um, and then, you know, how they look and how they're told, I think the story dictates that. Uh, now, I was just looking at your credits, and I know that you're uh, a producer on another upcoming documentary uh, called Tantrum. Uh, <laughs> about a, about a, uh, was it a, a boy band in Illinois uh, in, in the 80s? Oh my gosh, I can't believe you brought up that project. Yeah, so that is, um, it wasn't a boy band, it was a heavy metal sort of wannabe rock band um, that um, me and my brother knew, and it's, my brother actually shot the film back then on camcorder, um, followed them, you know, for years, shooting them, shooting the gigs, and um, we haven't finished it or figured out what to do with it, and, <laughs> but it's all footage from the eighties and we like it as a story because it's illustrative of every band, every little band who thinks they're going to make it. And in the case of this band, they were writing original songs, but they ended up playing at bars every weekend and doing cover music. And, but interestingly, every single one of them went on to have different careers in music. So it's kind of inspiring by the end, but but yeah, it's kind of an ongoing project. We, we've had this footage since the 80s and kind of figuring out, you know, how can we tell a cool story out of this? I don't know if it'll ever see the light of day, but um, it, it's a cool project. We just have to figure out the right way to get it out there, I think. What, what's it like not only sticking with something for, for 30 years, but sort of look, looking back <laughs> on that footage, especially someone like you who, who's done a lot of historical kind of yeah. work in the past. <laughs> well, that one, I mean, we didn't work on it for 30 years. Literally, my brother shot it back then, and then nobody looked at it or thought about it for a long time until I was doing films. And then I was like, oh, we could actually pull this footage out and digitize it and see what's there. And then, you know, my brother, my brother has a film degree, um, and he was in the cinematographer's guild for a while, but he had to learn editing to kind of, you know, go through the footage and see what he had. So it's something we just kind of dug back into. And, you know, like I said, it's, it's his project. And I'm, you know, I, I helped a lot, try to help him find the story within it. Um, yeah, I hope it gets out there sometime. I mean, anybody who likes the nostalgia of that time period, anybody who's in a band that knows, you know, what, 
what bands are like with each other, that brotherhood kind of that happens, um, would probably like it. <laughs> well, you know, the, the 80s were a great time for movies. You mentioned Roadhouse, of course. There was The Goonies, kind of everything made by John Hughes uh, mm -hmm. in, in, in that era. Um, Terminator. Do you have a favorite 80s movie? Uh, I, well, my favorite movie of all time is Rocky, but, um, but yes, I do love the original Terminator. That's probably up there for me. I did watch all those John Hughes films. Um, the Breakfast Club, I watched a bunch of times when that came out. I loved The Lost Boys. Uh, that was a good one. <laughs> yeah, there, there, there's so many good ones. Uh, so what do you want people to, I guess, take away from, from stunt women when, when they see it? Um, I think the feeling that most people get and, and that makes me happy is that you just really feel pumped up after you watch it. You really feel inspired, whether it's that it makes you want to go work out or it makes you want to go tackle something in your life. Um, I think that's sort of the feeling that we land on and other people that when I've shown the film to audiences, you just leave with this high energy. Like I want to go do something. I want to go take on the world and, and you know, what a great feeling. What, what kind of story do you think you'll want to tell next? Well, I have a bunch um, in, in, during this lockdown, there's a lot of scripts I've been working on that are um, for television series as well as feature films. And um, I'm hopeful that one or more of them will get traction in documentary world. I've actually already shot a whole documentary about a traveling carnival that I need to dig into and start editing. Um, so yeah, I got, a, I have a lot on my plate and um you know, not that much is in production right now, but I'm really hopeful once that picks up again, hopefully I'll have a lot of fun things to work on. <laughs> uh, well, any, any advice out there for people who want to become a documentary filmmaker? Oh, documentary filmmaker. Um, well, I think you just need to find a subject that really interests you because making a documentary takes a long time. Um, most of my documentaries uh, have taken anywhere from three to seven years. And I think that's typical. Some take even longer. So it just really has to be a subject that you're passionate about, that you're willing to dig into, do all the research and live and breathe it for a good chunk of your life. And plus, like I said, you develop an obligation to the people whose story you are telling and, um, and so there is a little weight um, with telling a documentary that you don't necessarily have with, with a narrative film um, and where you have to become part of that community because you want to tell the story the way they want it to be told. You want to get inside the community. In fact, that was something another documentary filmmaker recommended to me when I started. He said, you know, get to know that community, get inside that community, you know, because once you do that, then they will tell you who should be in the film. They will tell you, you know, what it's really about, um, you know, versus being on the outside looking in. So find a topic you like, get immersed in that community. That's the best way, I think, to tell a documentary story. Well, the film is Stunt Woman, the true Hollywood story, uh, and it is available starting the 
22nd, September 22nd on VOD. Yep. So it'll be everywhere that day. You can pre-order it right now on um, Apple TV. Uh, and then it'll be everywhere a uh, week from Tuesday on September 22nd. Well, I encourage all the listeners to pre-order it. Check it out on VOD, Stunt Woman, The True Hollywood Story. April Wright, thanks so much for your time this afternoon. Yeah, thank you. Great questions. That was fun. All right. Stay, stay safe out there in L.A. You too. Thanks. All right. Bye. Once again, that was my conversation with filmmaker April Wright. Her new documentary, Stunt Woman, The True Hollywood Story, is out now. That does it for me today. On Friday, I'm going to be talking about festivals going digital with dancer Joshua Vemus, who is appearing in Fall for Dance North, as well as festival programmer for VIF, Rylan Friday. So be sure to stay tuned for that. Thanks for tuning in, and I'll see you next time. Bye for now. Artists like to have a lot of sex. <laughs> <laughs>